0: Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Anne Baldwin. And we are back even virtually. That's okay. I'm holding down the studio here. We want to welcome you all to this edition of The Connection. I'm Ann Baldwin, sitting in the hot seat, and we're so fortunate to have such technology that you wouldn't even know that she's not sitting across from me, but I wish she was. Lisa (laughs) demattis Lapori, who's president and CEO of The Connection. Man, do I miss it. You talk about isolation. You know, I feel in this big office, oh, this big office of mine in New Britain, and I know that you guys are taking turns going into your offices in Middletown, and it just seems like a a deserted desert, doesn't it? When you walk into an office building now, it's just like nobody's here.
1: It's crazy. I know it. It, it is really strange. That's why it's important for me to, um, you know, thank God for our IT department and our ability to. Uh, we had Todd Hawk on our show recently, and, mm-hmm. and our ability to, you know, be remote and and have teams and all these different applications so that we can at least, you know, see each other. But I do get to see, you know, the staff when they come in the office and they're waving outside the door and, you know, we miss each other, but we're doing the best we can. And I'm excited because today I received my first COVID <gasps> vaccine. And I That's
0: right. Excited. I saw it on Facebook, so it must yeah. be true.
1: I am very happy. <laughs> it was a smooth process. Was Thank it Danbury Hospital. Thank you, VAMS of Connecticut.
0: That's great. Now, so, when do yeah, you go back for your second moving- one?
1: I go back for my second uh, vaccine on February 10th. I already made my appointment.
0: Good. Well, good for you. That's And, you know, you and I are both in the s- same boat as we've talked about before. We both got aging parents, um, and you recently brought your mother closer to you. But yet it's ironic, isn't it, that you can't be closer to her because of all of this. And I've got mine down the street who's not doing well. And it's just you want to be able to be around people and be around your loved ones again. So enough about that. Hopefully, once you get your shot yeah. and once, you know, they hit the category of uh, people under 50, I can get mine. <laughs> that's a joke.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um.
0: <laughs> no, I am. We're looking... the
1: same age. Mm. I'm just all I'm saying. Okay,
0: that's right. Um, yeah. Okay, I just lowered it right? a few years. That's a, nothing wrong with that. So let's get to our guest, someone yeah. that you know very well, and, and I'm excited to, to speak with her as well.
1: Yes, I am really excited to have on the show today Dr. Eileen O'Neill. Welcome Eileen.
2: Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here with the both of you.
1: We're happy to have you here. Eileen is uh, one of my board members on the Connection, Inc. board and um, I brought Eileen um, to the board and asked her if she would almost begged her to join for a variety of reasons. Not, be- not because she's a, a dynamo, a brilliant, red-headed Irish woman who... Um, also is a gourmet cook, but we won't talk about that today. But all kidding aside, um, she's brilliant, and she comes with an amazing background and understanding of the children uh, and, 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 of course, the families that we serve at The Connection, and I really needed her by my side to help direct the organization. So without further ado, Eileen is an assistant principal at a high school in Connecticut, um, and she really uh, has an extensive history um, working with children and special ed, uh, special ed children. She also, um, besides having her master's degree and a six-year degree, and she has a doctoral uh, degree also. Um, she did her uh, doctoral thesis, a thesis focused on discrepancies in the rate of office discipline, referrals for black and Hispanic children when compared with their white peers. And she's always focusing on equity in, in education. And she... I, You know, just welcome. Thank you for the great work you're doing in Connecticut. Thank you for your passion for, for children in general. And, um, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, I mean, your, your bio was really long, but, you know, tell us a little bit about how did you know that you wanted to be a teacher and, and why special ed? You know, what was it that let you, let, led you down that road?
2: I, I started um, down the path towards uh, becoming an educator when I was still in high school myself. I was a, a person who was given an opportunity to tutor. Um, you know, during my my period off from classes, instead of being in the study hall, I used to walk down to the middle school. We were all on the same campus, so I would walk down to the middle school and tutor a girl who was deaf. Um, and I frequently found her to be very frustrated and sometimes crying when I'd arrive. Um, and you know, all the hubris of youth—we always think we can do things better than other people can, right? So. Um, listening to her stories, understanding that she was a lip reader and frequently, um, you know, teachers with, I'm sure without malice, don't get me wrong, I'm sure people were doing the best they could. But, you know, if they had their back to her because they were writing on the board and she'd ask a friend, what did he just say, she'd get in trouble for talking, which is kind of interesting. And, you know, she'd come to me like every other day during the course of a week. And honestly, by the end of the week, the first week that I met her, I was decided that I was going to be a special education teacher because I could clearly do it better. <laughs> and, and again, there's a lot of hubris in a 12th grader in high school. But, um, you know, that was really the driving the driving point. Um, and, and here I am 150 years later, you know, still an educator. And I did do special education for 29 years. Um, I decided to jump into administration after going into the doctoral program. But... I was very happily engaged in working with students with disabilities for a very long time.
0: Well, as someone uh, in my professional career, I also work with educators. Dr. O'Neill, a longtime client of mine, has been the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education. So oftentimes, mm. um, I'm dealing with administrators and superintendents, and... What I do is I help them put out fires when there's a bad story in their school district, and, and that's kind of my job to be the conduit between uh, the school and the news media, which I tell people I've jumped off of a sinking ship, but that's another story for another time. How are things going, in your opinion? You know, with COVID, I, I know how many challenges there are with not only special needs students, but all students that are really struggling, whether they're trying to learn remotely or whether they're sitting in a classroom with a mask on. And I don't even know, I think a lot of people don't know what a classroom looks like today after COVID.
2: Um, You know, it's been such an interesting journey because it starts before this particular school year. You know, we we had the first of probably quite a few drive-in style graduations in um, June and you know our senior class that graduated last year was the first class to really be impacted by it in in a way that really changed what senior year looked like for them. Um, you know there there was no um, prom, for example. Um, you know there were field trips that are sort of rites of passage that they didn't get to take. Um, and I have to say that I marvelled at. At how they rallied to it anyway, how they accepted those losses—they were sad. They certainly were able to vocalize that they were sad, that they were going to miss those things. But at the same time, they were able to focus on what we had, um, and and what we, you know, what we needed to focus on was keeping everybody healthy and safe, and eventually getting across the stage, which the vast majority of them did. Um, I think the biggest challenge for educators is the remote students and I think that you know that's what we have to do for COVID we have to cut down on how many kids are in the building at one time so at any one time if you're and I'm an evaluator of teachers so I'll go into a classroom to sit down and and you know type up what's going on and and do the evaluation system the way it's outlined and there'll be maybe four three students physically in the classroom and then another twelve or more that may join remotely, so we've got their you know their little cameos are up on the the smart board in the room, and the teachers' dividing their attention between the computer in front of them and the students in in front of them, and there's not as much movement and certainly not as much interaction so I, I think it's a challenge for students. I think it's a challenge for teachers, but I also believe strongly. Um, that we're all dedicated to the cause, and, you know, there's lots of, we could probably discuss the things that are not going well for the next hour, and, and I'd rather not focus on that because there really is a lot of strength in the students and there's a lot of strength in the teachers, and people are really trying to do the best they can and getting really creative and looking outside of the box at, you know, how can we make this more
1: interactive with the students that are online? I think that, uh, you know, what you said, you know, rings home for me with my son Missing those things in the class of 2020, I saw a lot of resilience in that class. I saw a lot of um, bonding in that class. I saw, you know, kids pulling together um, about what they did have and not what and, and not what sort of they were losing. Not that they kn- not that they could fully understand. I think it was more painful as a parent or a family member knowing what they weren't experiencing, but at the same time to see the bond and the growth of the class, I think was re- was really key and. You know, I see you as a person who has so much patience and understanding and empathy um, for students and certainly, you know, you've worked in many school systems, um, you know, throughout the state, uh, throughout different states and and teaching students from kindergarten to 12th, etc. This is not what they expected. And so thinking out of the box and being super creative, I think, is how do you engage a child, children. Um, in teaching and getting excited about teaching because let 's face it, I know my role models for teachers, all of my role models when I think back of you know the people that impacted my life they 're teachers um, right. and that 's the role that teachers typically play and Imagine now, um, you know, the extra work and the sort of the creative out-of-the-box sort of thinking that they have to do. And I'm sure that, you know, that you're seeing that. It's, it's amazing to me for college. You know, my son is engaged, but he's, you know, remote learning. And right. um, Wait a minute. You know, Wait a minute. It's, it's, Wait a minute.
0: It's, Nico yeah. got engaged?
2: But, uh, engaged in education, I think she meant. Oh, okay. Yeah. That,
0: that was a little humor <laughs> in there. Get it? When I heard the word Nico is engaged, I had to stop you. I I
1: shoot myself. Whatever. Um. But you're
0: right, Lisa. It is something that educators didn't sign up for, and it's now the world that we live in. And I do believe that people are trying to do the best they can. Like in life, it's also parental responsibility to to help out. For me, my perspective, I see so much is put on the laps of. And the backs of educators, you know, teach my kid their manners. Teach my kid, you know, this. Teach my kid that. It's it's like one stop shopping for some people. But don't you feel, Dr. O'Neill, that there's there's also a parental responsibility that comes with the world that we're in today? You can't do it all on your own.
2: No, you're absolutely correct about that. And you know, I I think that. We have a lot of empathy for our our families. You know, these are struggles that we don't even know in, in terms of how the household has been impacted. But I totally agree with you. It's it's we can't police their behavior in the in the home classroom setting. Correct? You know, mm-hmm. um, we we have rules about cameras need to be on, for example, and most schools have rules about that because it helps with connection to the student it helps with web, whether or not you can just sort of glance at the kids and see if everybody's paying attention and understanding there are a lot of nonverbal things happen in the regular classroom that we're trying to mimic and if the student doesn't want to put you know the camera on then we, we lose so much of what is the nonverbal communication to support understanding we we need those parents you know to step in and support the fact that if the student isn't on we really have a challenge there and you know, the kids are not going to do as well on assessments if they haven't been actively engaged to the best that they can. And, and you know, I think we're, we all understand that this has been really hard on students because they're, this is the time of their life when, you know, most of, their, most of their important life things occur with their friends and their student friends at school. And when that's not there, you know, you worry about depression, you worry about withdrawal, mm-hmm. you know, you worry about a lot of things. Um, but we really need them to be supported at home with the engagement. And, again, I understand not every parent is sitting at home either. Right. You know, we we have a lot of parents who are in, you know, businesses and jobs that they have to be there all the time, that they're really important to, to the pandemic, to the pandemic response. Um, so it's, it's complicated. And I, I think one of the things when I think about the overall problem is that we really – we just have to give each other – you know, some support, some faith that we're all doing the best that we can with what we have. Um, and, you know, it's, it's some grace around the failures, the occasional, I just can't do it today. You, you know, I, mm-hmm. it's really... It really is that challenging, you know. This it, this isn't hyperbole. Oh, I know. It, it really yeah. is that challenging. You know, I can't even imagine.
0: Yeah, and you know, as I I had two little two little girls that live up the street in elementary, and one's in junior high, and they spent the day with me a while back with remote learning, and I first time I witnesses because both of my children are grown, and thank God they are because I don't know if I could handle it because good luck getting through a phone call without the dog barking or the doorbell ringing or there's so many different distractions that I, I, it's hard to believe that people can focus and or their parents have to still work and they're working from home. So yes, you know, I witnessed it and I felt bad. I felt a little sad that, you know, to see it. But I also saw a teacher on the other end, at least of one of these students, um, computer screens that was really, Going over the top to engage, um, really doing what they needed to do to keep interest. And to, to it was just, it was amazing to me. It's the first time I had seen it. So I know that it, it's a hard job to begin with, and now things have unfortunately gotten even harder. So,
2: you know, as a special education teacher, I can't imagine how hard that piece mm-hmm. must be because you already have students who, when they're in school, are struggling. Um, so if they're at home, it's just that much worse you can't get to them right away you can't necessarily see where they're going wrong you know and and what you need to point out to them to just give them that little piece that they're missing it's just so much harder in this environment okay, okay so one of the one of the things that was my passion when i was in high school and this is is how i relate to the students now is i was i was a singer you know one of the things i loved about my um four years in high school is that it gave me an opportunity to sing all the time so part of the challenge we're having is with the arts, mm-hmm. you know, the, the things that give students expression, individuality, um, and an ability to come together as a group and make something together, because right now, isolation is kind of the way we roll. Um, and, you know, one of the, my friends, I have a couple of friends who are music educators, and one of them has been really trying hard to find the right space, right? Because we have to, if you're singing, you actually have to be further apart, Um, than when you're just sitting next to each other eating lunch, you know, which has a certain distance measurement as well. And, you know, I I marvel at um, how hard he's worked to try and get their voices together to hear themselves perform and then to share with the community. And one of the things he's done is record individuals and then compile it together. Um, Another thing he's done is have sectionals sort of sing their parts and then I don't, I don't know the magic that he's putting into it, because it's not something that I'm familiar with, but he's able to put that together, too. And as we finished out the last school year, um, we usually have an acoustic night a couple of times a year at our school where kids get to come in and just demonstrate what they do on their own, whether it, you know they play the piano or where they want to sing a ballad or they want to do show tunes, whatever. So we ended up putting um, a virtual version of that together. Um, I was... I was willing to sacrifice myself and do it myself. I, <laughs> that was more than just a little disconcerting because, needless to say, I don't have a recording studio in my house, and I won't say that it was my best opportunity. But um, you know, I think part of it is to to put yourself out there with the kids and you know demonstrate your willingness to join in and to take risks and you know, to really, you know, lead the way to some extent because the teacher is really the one who is driving this, lead the way into, you know, yeah, this isn't what we want, but look what else we can do. And and I think that that spirit um, is what will see us through this in general. You know, is it everything we want it to be? Absolutely not. You know, is it is it the experience that we want our children to have? Is it the best preparation for their next steps? Well, That we could probably argue because to some extent they have certainly learned an in-your-face lesson about how to make do, how to um, mourn the loss of some things and still move forward. You know, we didn't have the prom last year. You know, I think I said that already. That's a big deal when you're expecting it. I think this year's class isn't expecting it, so it's a little different. They've probably already adjusted. But, you know, I also think down the road – that while I do think there's going to be some negative implications from COVID and, you know, some people will have a longer term impact potentially on, you know, how they're feeling and so on and so forth. I also feel like there's a real good lesson of resilience in this and, and how to look for, um, you know, the bright side or the silver lining and how to demonstrate that, you know, things can go terribly wrong and you can still persevere.
0: Absolutely. Definitely. Well, Lisa, you're very fortunate to have Dr. Eileen O'Neill on your board. You know, you're, you're in-depth and yes, this is I just, a, yeah, your in-depth knowledge and, and your your long time and longevity in, in public education and especially, you know, special education um, is really to be commended. So what what do you bring to the board literally? And, you know, some people think, oh, being on a board, you know, you just sit there and, uh, you don't really do much and sometimes you get paid for it, but we're talking about the connection board. Uh, Lisa, you talked a little bit about why you wanted Dr. O'Neill on your board and Dr. O'Neill, why did you accept this? Should we call it an invitation or a challenge? <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> yes. It's an invitation and a challenge. And, and, um, you know, I, I, my father used to say my middle name was Volunteer, um, it, and there was more truth than poetry in that, because he was always having to drive me somewhere to do something that I said my dad and I could take care of. So <laughs> it, it doesn't <laughs> um, shock anybody to find me on a board. Um, I, You know, there were a few reasons. You know, one of them is, as you know or probably do know, Todd Hawk is m- one of my connections to The Connection. He's He's my son-in-law. Um, And, you know, the work that he described was certainly compelling. Um, The other thing is that, you know, as part of my bio, you know that I I worked in a residential treatment facility, Mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, was an early, a really early um, in my career uh, event. It was before I graduated from college, as I like to say, the first time. Um, (laughs) And you know, living on a unit, sleeping over with these kids, um, feeding them, clothing them, taking them shopping, taking them to the hairdresser, that residential piece that take it, caring yeah. for people in that way is 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 what you do. You know, so, um I think for me there was a natural fit. It was you know, the best job and the hardest job I ever had was that job. And you know, and partly because I was not graduated from college yet, so I was very young to be doing that kind of work, but, but also because you, you really, you know, you grew to love the people that you were working with, you saw them as yours, you, you know, you had to treat them carefully, but you didn't have all the control over how their lives worked out, so you know, that was kind of the yin and the yang part of it, um, but it, that was absolutely the most edifying
1: job that I've ever had, truly.
0: Well that's that's interesting. That's my
1: passion residential treatment There's Absolutely. nothing like it. And yep. you know Eileen, um we were I think we were kindred souls um because I respected you so much for all of your education and and you know your you know your um you know your stamina and your patience and you know empathy and brilliance and also your you know you really focus on equity and education and you know, your dissertation was was to me was uh, really stunning. The, the the topic that you chose, as I mentioned earlier before, um, and I you know I saw Eileen, and she is a great fit for our board and where we're sort of moving, especially with um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and so you know, these are the things that make a CEO proud um, to run an organization is to have members like Eileen on the board that brings su- such a you know uh significant uh personal history, personal love for the work we do, but also who brings a lot of knowledge and can help and guide the organization as we move forward. And, you know, you can't make it as a CEO unless you have people like Eileen on your board. It's impossible. Um Eileen is a mentor to me. Um I really look up to her. I respect her. And, um, you know, I, you know, every CEO needs this type of guidance and, you know, it's really hard to find great board members. This is not an easy task.
0: Well, and Lisa, it sounds like you certainly found one. So it's been a pleasure. I did. You did. Dr. Eileen O'Neill, thank you for your public service and, uh, thank you for sharing with us your time today. It was really an interesting conversation. And again, if you didn't hear us earlier, hats off to all educators and all teachers and really all students who are having to grin and bear what we're going through right now. And Lisa, it's always a pleasure having you here as well.
1: And I'd like to thank you to all of our, thank you for all of our listeners for tuning in to this week's edition of The Connection, right here on WTIC News Talk 1080.